and welcome to On Liberty, coming to you live from the Centre for Independent Studies here in Sydney. I'm Glenn Fay, your host for today's episode, filling in for our regular host, Salvatore Babonis, who will be back soon. <laughs> Joining me on today's episode is Simon Brini. Simon is Public Policy Manager at Philip Morris International, and he's the former Policy Director at the Institute of Public Affairs. Simon, thanks for joining us. G'day, Glenn. Great to be with you. Simon, to kick us off, what is harm reduction and why is it something that, that is important to the work that you do? Well, the, the concept of harm reduction uh, is one to do with accepting people and taking people as they are, recognising that uh, you, you might want for people to behave in a certain way and you might want for them to do certain things and refrain from doing things, but uh, tobacco harm reduction and, and harm reduction as a concept takes people as they are and uh, accepts that uh, while we might not think that uh, drinking is a great idea or smoking is a great idea, there are people that continue to smoke and continue to drink and continue to do um, other things that um, uh, that are potentially harmful. And so the question is, are there ways for them to do that in a way that's less harmful? Uh, and so one of the big focuses for me is uh, is on telling people about what it is that we can do when it comes to, to specifically tobacco harm reduction. Mm. And so when we talk about harm reduction, what, what in related to tobacco, what are the sort of activities we're talking about here? Well, conceptually, what we're talking about is uh, is a couple of things. To, to achieve uh, population-wide harm reduction, you need two factors. One, you need uh, products that deliver what it is that smokers are looking for in a less harmful way. Um, you need to make sure that that product is scientifically substantiated so that we can show that, yes, it is, based on the evidence, a less harmful product. Um, and two, you need uptake amongst uh, current adult smokers. So um, those are the two things that you need. You can have a great product that has no uptake at all. Um, and if you do that, then you won't achieve anything in terms of population-wide harm reduction. Um, and those are the two things that, that I think we, we really ought to focus on. Um, the, the important thing, of course, and where a lot of the controversy comes around is uh, to do with with what cohort of people are taking up some of these products. So when you talk about reduced harm or reduced risk, you're not talking about zero risk. So it's really important that the cohort of people we're talking about are current adult smokers who are switching to these less harmful alternatives. Well, aren't we just accepting then that, that, you know, that rather than trying to solve a problem like alcohol, tobacco use, Aren't we resign? Are we saying that it's just too complex to to solve that problem? Uh, and we've now taken a second best option. No, I think um, in in many ways it's actually the best possible option because um, while we've had um, significant tax increases, we've had in Australia plain packaging, we've had a whole range of other restrictions placed on the sale of combustible tobacco products. Um, we haven't until the last sort of twenty years or so had a product that people could switch to, which was still going to satisfy some of the things that they're looking for. Um, uh, it still has, it still contains nicotine. We're talking here about um, e-cigarettes and heated tobacco products and, and other products that, that deliver nicotine in a less harmful way without combustion. Uh, and two, um, we're seeing uptake amongst a group of people who may not have quit smoking. So that, that's the thing that I think is really important to understand that you're going to continue having a group of people who will quit smoking that's great, but then what are we going to do for the people who will continue to smoke? And the World Health Organization estimates that there are around a billion people who smoke today around the world. There will continue to be around a billion people who will continue to smoke 
uh, even up until 2025. So I think the question really is, with all of those regulatory uh, uh, restrictions that we've placed on the product, is there something that can complement that um, uh, when it comes to people choosing to take on uh, to, to, to consume uh, nicotine in a less harmful way? Does that does it almost amount to policymakers kind of playing God though? Like, or are you sort of saying that well, these people don't, you know, are uh, ever well. If we, you can say either that not ever everyone should be uh, protected from any any harm that may come their way, but then are you not also then saying that well, we can identify which ones that is not going to work for, and this population of people whom. That, that that other approach, that maybe traditional approach on regulation, may work. How do you make that call about where to where to cut off? Well, we 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 put it in in we we have a what we call a triplet. Um, so what we say is, uh, if you don't smoke, you shouldn't start. Uh, if you do smoke, you should quit. But uh, if you don't quit, then what are we going to do for for that cohort of people? So that's really the cohort of people that we're talking about when we talk about tobacco harm reduction and some of these tools now that are available, some of these technologies that are available. And I think that that's, for, for me, that's something that's really important uh, is that this technology has come from the market. It's come from uh, ingenuity and enterprise. It's been something that has been developed. Uh, Hon Lick was, is, is uh, attributed as being the, the first uh, pharmacist. He was a Chinese pharmacist who invented the first e-cigarette back in 2003. Um, and uh, he did so uh, because he'd seen the devastating impact that smoking uh, had had on on his life uh, and and the life of his father and so um, I, I think for for me that's something that's terrific. It's that uh, we've got a product that people can choose to to use if they're a current adult smoker and uh, and it's going to be less harmful for them than continuing to smoke. And so, okay, you've you've, you've outlined e-cigarettes. What are, what are the other alternatives that 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 harm reduction um, approaches have led us to? What's what's on the What's uh, from a market perspective? What what are those alternatives that, that have emerged? Well, there's a whole whole range of products now that that are available. So I think most people are somewhat familiar with electronic cigarettes or e-cigarettes, which um, are a, a, a battery unit that heat up a liquid that contains nicotine that's that's inhaled by by the user. Um, some of the other products that are out there um, are, uh, for instance, you've got. Uh, heated tobacco products, which still contain tobacco, but they heat it rather than burning it. Um, uh, in Sweden, there's a product called Snus, which is a, like a fermented tobacco product. Um, that's something that's going to be relatively unfamiliar to uh, to anyone in Australia. But uh, if you're in Scandinavia, that's something you'd be very familiar with because it's been in use there for, for uh, more than 100 years. And uh, what all of these products have in common is that they don't involve combustion. And the reason that that's important is because if you look at where most of the harm comes from when it comes to tobacco related disease, it comes from combustion. And the reason for that is because when you burn something, when you light something on fire, that process creates a whole range of chemicals. And when we're talking about cigarette smoke there, we're talking about, about around 6,000 chemicals. Um, some of which are, um, are some of the cancer-causing uh, and other harmful chemicals that uh, we know are associated with lung disease and heart disease and a whole range of other smoking-related uh, illnesses. So how do we know that these work? I mean, it's, it's all, all well and good for us to say, look, this all sounds like a, a, a perhaps a better alternative, but in what way can we be sure that, that these alternatives are in fact better for consumers and ultimately for society, economies and so on? 
Uh, well, we can be sure about it because we look at the evidence and we make up our minds based on the evidence. Um, we, we, we know, of course, from a lot of the data where a lot of the harm has come from. So um, th there's a few things that, that I, I talk about. One is um, the problem with burning. So that idea that most of the harm comes from lighting something on fire and inhaling the byproduct of that into your, into your lungs. Um, two is the role of nicotine. So nicotine is something that's common amongst uh, the, the whole range of, of, of product categories that we've talked about today. So combustible cigarettes, yes, they contain nicotine. Um, it's also true that smoke-free products or reduced risk products, this new category of, of non-combustible alternatives, they contain nicotine too. Um, and uh, the, the way that it's been put by some is that uh, smokers smoke for the nicotine but they die from the smoke. And so that's really the concept that's right at the heart of tobacco harm reduction uh, and why it is that we're trying as quickly as possible to switch people if they're going to continue smoking from uh, more harmful combustible tobacco products to less harmful non-combusted alternatives or, or smoke-free products. But there's a, there's a whole range of, of those products. And um, Snooser, as I mentioned, is, uh, is a bit of a strange one, but, uh, but it's actually a really a really good example because it gives us a proof of concept. Um, one of the things that people talk about is, well, we don't have long-term data for electronic cigarettes, and that's true. But in terms of a proof of concept, um, Swedish snus is so great because it's been around for 100 years, and it's one of the reasons that epidemiologists can point to to say this is the reason why lung cancer rates are so much lower in Sweden than they are in other parts of Europe. Where you don't have, uh, where, where you've you've still got nicotine consumption happening, but the the way that people consume nicotine is unfortunately by lighting tobacco on fire, um, and so if you can avoid that combustion, then that's really where you avoid a lot of the harm. And so, okay, so traditionally, what what we've done, we've had quit smoking campaigns through awareness and so on. We've had the everyone be familiar with the packaging with 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 the eye, the uh, uh, you know all, all this sort of stuff. We saw plain yep. packaging. We've seen taxation to to the roof uh, uh why why maybe we just haven't gone hard enough don't we maybe we just need to double down if we just tax that little bit more um or if we just had one more eyeball on the container how do we know that going hard on the regulation how do we know that, that wouldn't work Yes, well, uh, it, it's a good question. Um, you know, maybe they could uh, whack a, a, another 12.5% tax increase on uh, on combustible tobacco like they have for, for a number of years. And um, I think one of the things to say about that is there are some un unintended consequences of, uh, of some of those regulations. Um, so while uh, it's true that they would have reduced tobacco consumption, I think there's no no doubt about the fact that um, we have seen reductions as a result of some of those tobacco control policies. I, I think one of the things that we've seen in the last few years, particularly in Australia, is that uh, we're reaching a point where we, we, we may have maxed out the potential for some of those policies. Uh, and the reason I say that is because one of the issues that we've seen in Australia over the last few years is a significant increase in the illicit tobacco market. So what that is, is uh, either tobacco that's grown here in Australia or it's grown overseas. Uh, it comes in in shipping containers from overseas. It may be diverted from, from legal markets. So you might have, for example, um, uh, tobacco that's sold in other markets around the world where taxes aren't as high. Um, and where you can purchase those products and, and bring them in uh, illegally into, into the Australian market and sell them at a, at a significant markup. 
Um, so the rate of, of consumption uh, in that part of the market is about 20%. So I think that probably would surprise a lot of people. And I think one of the reasons for that is, is because uh, of, of taxes. I think, I think that's undeniable that um, if you increase artificially the price of something, if people continue to demand that product, then they're going to find other ways of trying to get access to it. So I, I think that's one of the reasons why um, I, I think we've probably maxed out where we can go, particularly on taxes. Um, and I also think there's a really significant equity issue here too. So uh, the, the broadly the cohort of people in Australia who continue to smoke are at the lower socioeconomic end of the, the spectrum. And so if the policy response to smoking is going to be, well, let's increase tobacco taxes, then the people you're increasing that tax burden on are at the lower end of the income scale. And so I think that's something that policymakers uh, ought to have at the back of their mind when they're considering uh, whether to increase tobacco taxes. Um, there are other taxes also that apply at the lower end of the income scale, and there's pretty good reasons why we're cautious about that sort of policy response. So I think that's a reasonable thing to, to take that equity argument into account because, um, you know, we don't see these sort of tax increases on uh, on some of the products that that uh, some of the policymakers themselves might like to consume. You know, we don't see 12.5% uh, tax increases year on year on uh, red wine, for example. Um, but uh, I think that that's one of the things that that I, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit cautious of because we've seen this explosion in the black market where we've got 20% of, of products being sold in the black market. Um, and even if they are still buying uh, cigarettes legally, they're doing so in a much more expensive way than they, they were 10 years ago. And we're talking about a, a cohort of people who, um, who are at the lower end of the, the income scale. And so, you know, obviously many countries are confronted with challenges related to tobacco use and other and other and other drugs. But are we on the same sort of track? Are we doing the same sort of things as as other countries, or, or are there good examples out there that you'd point us to? Well, uh, when it comes to tobacco harm reduction, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that Australia's uh, a, a long way behind the rest of the world. Uh, it was only last year that there was a, a new regulation that was put in place which regulated uh, e-cigarettes and, and other nicotine-containing smoke-free products as, uh, as smoking cessation therapies. So they're now regulated as prescription medicines in, this, in a similar sort of way to, to the way that other prescription medicines are regulated. Um, but this is after years and years of, uh, of people choosing to use e-cigarettes as a means of, of either reducing their, their uh, tobacco consumption or, or completely, uh, completely stopping to, to smoke entirely. So um, uh, I, I think there are a few jurisdictions I'd, I'd point to, and one of them is, uh, is right, on our, uh, right on our doorstep, and that is in New Zealand where in New Zealand, there's a, there's a smoke-free act in, in New Zealand, which regulates nicotine-containing uh, e-cigarettes as consumer goods. They're adult consumer goods, they're age-restricted, there's a number of restrictions when it comes to uh, the sorts of uh, ingredients and flavours and packaging and advertising. Um, but I think that that's a much more sensible approach than the one we have here, because uh, I think it recognises, the New Zealand uh, Ministry of Health has recognised that they have significantly high smoking rates in certain communities. Uh, and in order to tackle those, we need new ways of, of dealing with, with those problems. And um, if we can have vaping as a tool in the toolbox to help people to stop smoking, then, uh, then why not embrace that? And so to, just for, for those that, that may be following this, that 
that don't don't closely follow the the way that vaping is regulated in what ways does that differ from how um how, how cigarettes are regulated in australia well in australia of course cigarettes are regulated as as uh as consumer goods um they're heavily regulated uh, but they're regulated as consumer goods and so that's why you can go to your local uh, convenience store or supermarket or tobacconist and buy a packet of cigarettes if you're over the age of 18. Um, there are all sorts of regulations to do with uh, the way that those products are manufactured, the way that they're presented, uh, advertising and marketing restrictions, um, which have come in, in over uh, the last few years. But I, I think the key difference in the Australian context between these two product categories is you've got a very heavily regulated consumer product on the combustible side. But then when it comes to people switching from a combustible product, which we know is, is harmful, to a less harmful product in the form of e-cigarettes, we've put, arguably, we've got higher barriers to entry for, for, for that market. So um, we're making it more difficult for people to switch to the less harmful product. So I think from a regulatory point of view, what we're missing here in, in Australia is a risk proportionate analysis when it comes to regulation. Um, it doesn't make sense to put more regulations on the less harmful product than it does the, the more harmful product. So the way that I look at it from a regulatory point of view is to say, well, let's apply a, a risk proportionate lens to this, which I think is one of the reasons why New Zealand has gone the way that they have. And New Zealand's not the only country to do this. Um, the US has a, a, a pathway where the, the Food and Drug Administration assesses product on the basis of, uh, of the evidence. Uh, the, the company I work for, Philip Morris, made an application to the Food and Drug Administration in 2018 for our leading smoke-free product. And in 2020, we received an authorization for that product to be allowed to, to sell it in the US. And uh, in, in the US, they have a, a very high standard to allow new products onto the market. The, the standard that you have to meet is uh, whether it's of benefit to the public health. That's the, the core deciding factor about whether they'll authorize a new product in, in the US. Uh, and and through evidence, we were able to show that we, we with our product, met that standard. Um, you could have a, a similar regulatory regime in, in Australia, uh, and it would still allow for regulators to have a very high degree of control over new products coming onto the market. Um, but it would also mean that you recognise that there's harm reduction potential for adults who switch from combustible tobacco to less harmful alternatives. So on the, on the, out of the out of the, the the suite of regulations, which one is the least useful or the most useless? Is it plain packaging? Is it is it the tax? What what's least? What is the one that's least responsive to regulation? It's uh, it, it's a good question, but um, but it's a very difficult one to to assess. And one of the reasons uh, it's difficult to assess in the Australian context is because. We introduced plain packaging in Australia at the same time as we introduced tax, in, tax increases. So, uh, in in terms of uh, the the policy experiment we're running in the real world in in Australia, we we added what you might call a confounding variable. So it, it starts making it very difficult to to make an assessment about uh, well, I mean, in, in the year immediately following the introduction of plain packaging. Um, this is not something that's uh, that's talked about too much in uh, in Australia in in uh, in the context of the public health lobby, but um, uh, but uh, consumption actually increased in in that year. So 
Um, so there's some strange things going on, and, and partly that's because um, uh, human behaviour is uh, is complex, and a lot of the time it's more complex than policymakers might want to admit. But um, uh, but I think there's it's true to say that there's a number of things that are going on. I, I would say overall um, a contribution has been made by each of those policies uh, to a reducing in the overall smoking rate in Australia. Um, but I think that we, the, if you go back to, to some of the recent data, some of the Australian authorities are talking about there being uh, over the last few years a sort of plateauing uh, of the smoking rate. So um, while we're plateauing, um, an interesting comparison to make is, well, what's happening in other jurisdictions? And in jurisdictions like Japan and the US and New Zealand and certainly the UK, uh, you've got significantly uh, accelerated declines in the smoking rate. And a big part of the reason for that is that they have got more liberal regulatory regimes uh, on, on less harmful non-combusted alternative products. So I think that that's quite instructive for, for us. It's quite instructive for policymakers to look at what's happening in jurisdictions overseas and to learn from what has happened in those jurisdictions where smoking rates are declining more rapidly. And so, I mean, on plain packaging, you've kind of alluded to this already, but it seems fairly arbitrary that we choose to plain package cigarettes, but not other products that, that it may also be harmful to us. I mean, you would what, if we're going to have plain packaged cigarettes, why not clean skin wines only? Yeah, well, um, uh, I, I've sometimes joked with uh, with some of my friends in uh, uh, in in policy in the policy making space that um, we should we should be careful not to uh, not to give give uh, too many ideas to uh, to people that might actually want to implement them. But uh, I, look, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, if if a proposal like that was to to start gaining traction over the over the next few years, I I, I wouldn't be surprised because. I think one of the trends that we see in in policy is that some of the ideas that we apply to tobacco, tobacco might be the first area where we apply a policy, uh, but then uh, as time moves on, some of those policies pop up in other areas too. So we might see it, for example, you know, there's there's been discussion about a, a sugar tax in Australia. Um, you know, that that's something that is that, that that has gained traction over the last few years. And so I, I do wonder sometimes whether some of these policies, including plain packaging, might sometimes uh, might, might one day uh, appear in, you know, fast food or uh, or alcohol or in other areas. Um, because we uh, I think that one of the things that um, that we have as an advantage when it comes to to smoking is that we actually have less harmful products available for people to switch to. Um, and I, I think one of the things that that we're starting to see in some of those other industries is, you know, for alcohol, we've got alcohol-free beer and alcohol-free spirits now. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's in response to market demand. People are more concerned about their health and health outcomes than they have been in the past. And so um, they're, they're looking to switch to those sorts of products. So I think that's the market sort of um, trying to get ahead of, of uh, some of those regulatory Imposts, but it's also in in response to to people demanding that sort of um, more more uh, more healthy food and and drink, etc. So it goes, I guess, succinctly. Then you're effectively saying that riding the 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 change in demand is the way that that you can move the sector forward, rather than trying to make demand decisions for consumers. Well, right? I think. 
I think they're they're doing it. They're doing it anyway. I mean, Australia is a great example of this. Just despite the fact that we only had a regulatory regime for for um, smoke-free products at the end of last year, um, five hundred thousand people in Australia have stopped smoking and have switched to to e-cigarettes. So. Um, we, we've already got people choosing to do this. They're way ahead of the regulations, and that, that's always going to be the case, I think. Um, but they're making that choice for themselves, and they've made that choice. Uh, they've made that choice on a, on, a, on the basis of a whole range of, uh, of of decisions. But those decisions that they're making are individual decisions. Um, uh, and I think that one of the things that we we should look at in Australia is well. Um, how is it that we can try and enhance some of the positive things that have come from the decisions that people have made on an individual basis, and how can we best encourage that through uh, through the policy through policy making? So one of the one of the criticisms you get in in the harm reduction space is that whether it's tobacco or, or any other any other any other drug um, that if you're pro harm reduction, you are therefore pro use of product is it not is is harm reduction just pro user more than pro drug uh no i i, I don't think so i mean I, I think it's just accepting that um that people are consuming a product which which may be harmful for them uh it accepts that uh while we might have a whole range of policies in place you're never going to get to a point where you have no people anywhere consuming uh, consuming nicotine and, and other drugs. So uh, it's really about accepting people and taking taking people as they are. Um, and I think really that that's that's the heart of it. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we can we can have a prohibit prohibitionist um, policy in place, but you know we've we've seen what the what the impact of that can be. Um, and in Australia, when it comes to tobacco harm reduction, the the, the impact of that is a, an exploding black market. So there's all sorts of negative negatives that that flow from that. It's uh, it's not just about you know product quality. It's about the kind of people that are bringing these products into Australia, um, where that money is going. It's making its way into um, criminal gangs and and organised crime. Uh, there's all sorts of, uh, of of very shady players playing in that space, and they're doing it because they see a market opportunity. So, um, I, I think really what it's about is um, can we innovate in a way that we can produce a less harmful product, and how is it that the policy system can encourage people to switch to those less harmful alternatives? Can I get you to to put a more of a uh, politics lens on for a second? More than most issues, right? Harm reduction seems to be one of those ones that seems to mess with left-right political divides. It's not kind of a left-wing issue, right-wing issue. There's, and, you know, I feel there's the very reasonable people come to different conclusions. But what is it that that, can, that, um, that kind of breaks the political divide when it comes to this issue? Uh, that, it's, it's, um, it's a really interesting question. I think one of the things that, that I've found is that people... Um, approach some of these issues with a different ideological lens and uh, I think for some people harm reduction is going to be something where they hear the term and they feel like uh, you know it's not something that sits well with them there are going to be others for whom harm reduction is a completely natural concept and something that they've seen when it comes to uh, heroin addiction and methadone they've seen it when it comes to uh, to, to other forms of um, other forms of drug use for example and and they're happy to apply that then to, to nicotine and to smoking um, uh, but I think there's also uh, an element of um, other 
ideological lenses that people use to to try and make sense of some of these policy areas and uh and and for a lot of people in australia too it's a, it's a matter of of choice you know they like the idea that they have a choice between products that are that are on the market um uh i, I think ideologically um it is an interesting one but i th i really think people for the most part are looking at it through a, a lens that they're comfortable with um but uh, the the other thing that makes a difference too is the drug that you're talking about so People will feel very differently about harm reduction when it comes to uh, to you know cannabis has been in the news over the last few days. Um, I always find it really interesting when people talk about their their pro legalisation when it comes to cannabis or their pro harm reduction when it comes to cannabis, um, but they'll take a totally different view when it comes to tobacco and, and nicotine. Um, that that to me, I I, I have to say I, I can't quite get my my head around that one from a from a scientific uh, perspective, but I but I think that um, those sorts of issues um, are, are ones that are really interesting from a policy perspective. Um, but it certainly certainly is an interesting area because you've always got people who um, uh, who you're, you're surprised by that are that are either you know pro or pro or anti tobacco harm reduction. Um, but for me, it's it's about the evidence. I think the evidence is very clear. Um, it's it's growing and has been growing now for for more than ten years. We're we're 15 years down the track almost next year, um, uh, 20 years next year. So um, the, the evidence is cons consistently growing about the role that, that non-combusted alternatives can play. Um, and, uh, and after many, many years of, uh, of government agencies talking about the fact that we're talking about around a 95% reduction in risk, I think it's clear from a policy making perspective um, so we've just got to keep uh, keep making sure we get the evidence out there, getting the science out there, so that policymakers can make sensible decisions. Look, we're just about out of time, Simon. But but a, a final one for you: what what regulations would need to be dropped for us to see improved outcomes, and what outcomes do you think we could see from a harm reduction approach? Well, I think the, the best thing we could do is, is look to New Zealand. Um, New Zealand is a country that we see ourselves in. A lot of the time we make comparisons between Australia and New Zealand, um, some of them favourable, some of them not so favourable, but, um, but certainly I think uh, it, it's somewhere we can look to uh, and look to learn from because uh, they have gone down a very sensible path of, of regulating uh, non-combusted alternatives, e-cigarettes as, as being... Um, a less harmful alternative to cigarettes. They're encouraging adult smokers who'd continue to smoke to switch if they if they don't quit. And so to, to me, that's somewhere we, we should be looking. Um, the UK has uh, vape shops being opened in NHS hospitals. So um, we can almost look anywhere around the world and see a more sensible policy on this. Um, but I think New Zealand is the best place to look to and has probably the best regime. Off to New Zealand we go for a field trip. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Simon, that's all we've got time for. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Glenn. Pleasure. And that was episode 95 of On Liberty. Next time, join us where we'll have Salvatore back in the seat and he'll be joined by Eliza Owen, Head of Residential Research at CoreLogic. Hope to see you then and see you at CIS again soon. Bye for now.